The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Brew Bar and the Vegas Beer Guys. Mike and Tom are washing their mouths out with soap because the Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is still the Halloween edition. I am Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man who loves Halloween 5 a little bit more than me, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hit us, Tom. Fortunately, we're lousy cops. Parp. <laughs> God damn it. I have to tell you, the first time... We almost have to talk about that right away, don't we? Yeah, well, that's why I put that quotable in. Because the, ver- the first the first time I uh, saw that, uh, the, the comedy cop double act arrived in a hail of what I can only describe as clown car sound effects. I, that's my note. Um, I thought, I genuinely thought something had gone wrong with the sound on my TV. Yeah, right. I, I, I was like, something must be bleeding in from another device. My- they must have screwed it, <laughs> screwed it up on the on the on air recording, um, and you know that I just had to adjust to the fact that this was a this was a choice, uh, a deliberate choice. My note when is when it kept happening every time they appeared, every time and, they appear, and every time they left. My first note when it first appears is bumbling cop clown music. What? Yeah. <laughs> just to put it, I. I'm, I think it's really important to put that in some kind of perspective over the series because one of my biggest kind is of this, issues... Is with... this one of the big swings you were referring to? No. Okay, no. good. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> it is a big swing. It's a big swinging dick. Um... <laughs> but in the context of the series, I have... One of the things I dislike about the the latest iteration of, of Halloween in the David Gordon Green era is they go around acting like they've solved all the problems of the series. And like what's one of the first thing we find in that Halloween in the, the Halloween sequel Halloween? Comedy cop double act. <laughs> well. It's like this might be bad, but you've not transcended it as a series, and don't pretend you have. But the other thing I'll say about that is that especially I don't the sequels aren't out yet but they will be by or one of them will be by the time you hear this that's right uh maybe by the maybe oh no I think we're just gonna miss it aren't we yeah anyway, yeah but uh, that, that first that first Halloween movie David Gordon Green yeah you can see specific homage to every single Halloween movie in that movie yeah also the deliberate one for- Yes, but uh, of all the things to, you know, why don't we have a really good laundry chute sequence or one of the things in the movie that works, you know? Like, specifically go for the thing in the movie that doesn't work. Or, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but in Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, there's a specific reference to what is a really good moment for Halloween 5 because 
we know Rob Zombie loves Halloween 5 because he's a fucking lunatic. <laughs> and he has a specific reference to one of the things in the movie that's actually quite good, which is the the, the sound of a murder over the police radio. Uh-huh. Um, and so... It just it, it interests me like like you you can't get away from how badly executed it is. But let's not pretend like we haven't seen this kind of bad uh, authority figure comedy before in the series, and that we won't see it again. Right. That's all I'm saying. All right. Well, ladies and, I and believe, gentlemen, and I believe. Well, it's not all I'm saying. Oh, I believe oh, okay. that these cops have a function in this movie. That I understand and respect. I don't enjoy seeing them, but I get why they're there. And that is? <laughs> we'll talk about that later. All right, fine. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. Something that does not happen. That does not happen, and a subtitle that, once again, does not appear in the movie. Right. It's entirely marketing based. Yes. So at uh, for the for the opening credits, which by the way is my first note, is different and worse opening credits. But <laughs> the movie's called Halloween Five, and that's it. <laughs> I see you kept an open mind. <laughs> this, this movie is directed by uh, Dominique Othenen. Gerard, what is it That's with right. this series and three names? Yeah, you're right. Tommy Lee That's Wallace, it. Dominique Othen, <laughs> and Gerard. We even have Dwight H. Little, so we have the H. That's right. David Gordon Green. There, yeah, there. It's it's all to be to be honest. That hiring criteria beats what their actual hiring criteria was for director I'll say. for this movie. <laughs> all right. Well, Dominique. <laughs> Who you seem to be a big fan of his risk taking no, in this movie? That's not true. <laughs> you didn't let me finish. I said of his. Well, you didn't represent my thoughts accurately. <laughs> he has directed uh, Omen Four: The Awakening, that's and an awful lot of soft porn. Wait a minute! It's o- Omen Four's subtitle is The Awakening. Yes, I've seen that movie. I don't remember that subtitle. I remember that movie. I can't remember if I've seen that movie. And I remember specifically that it is the Halloween 5 of the Omen series. <laughs> because it, it, it fucks Sounds everything up. Sounds like you're up. proving my point more and more with each second. <laughs> it fucks everything up, puts everything into a blender, and then the last 20 minutes of the movie is trying to, you know, um, tries to have some connective tissue to the rest to of the, the movies. Yeah. Which is kind of All what right. we do here. Well, this is a 1989 film. Tom, there are you could think of this two ways. All right, Rotten Tomatoes is on your side. This is not the bottom of the barrel for the series on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. It has 12% on Rotten Tomatoes. However, <laughs> you you're saying you 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 why are you portraying that as a success in, in any way? 12% I'm saying that it's 3% more than Halloween 6. Right. Which sits at 9%. However, this is more than 12%. And so, and Halloween 6 is more than more than no, 9. What, 9%? Yeah. 9%. You, you have done you've done the math correctly, sir. 9%. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I, 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 I got, like I was able to subtract three from twelve, but in my mind I was like <laughs> under double digit, like yeah. single digits. Single digits. I don't think these people are watching movies properly. Yeah, that's what I say when I talk to Chew. <laughs> You're watching it wrong. <laughs> yeah, she's watching it wrong in a, in a whole different way. These that critics is are watching it. These wrong. people are not. These people are. I don't know. Coming in with prejudices they can't get over. I don't know. It's just wrong. I don't disagree. But audience participation, I win. This movie had a budget of $5 million, uh, an opening weekend of $5 million, but in the USA and the world, $11.6 million, and that's the lowest in the series. Well, well they probably thought these because... first six, anyway. Because this was only a year after Halloween 4, they probably thought they were just going to see a re-release of Halloween 4. It was so close. Maybe. And that's the big... That's the big bit of behind-the-scenes context you need for this, is like how much it was rushed into production. Halloween 4 was 88, this is 89. Right. That's, like a, that's literally a year... They rushed to, it. <laughs> ...to write, film, edit, and release. And release. And I'll I'll argue once again. That's what this movie looks like. Yeah, definitely. That's how you have to you have to understand that they didn't have a complete script when they started filming, mm-hmm. and they didn't stay with the script that they eventually wrote during filming. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have anything to say about the angry slicing of pumpkins opening credits? I do. do to to me this opening sequence really says it all about the movie. I think it's like it's like a movie Haphazard in a microcosm. And unscary. <laughs> what did you what did you say? Disappointing, wrong. Uh, <laughs> so it's the worst title. I, I yet. just my 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 uh, once again my my note was different and worse opening different. credits. Right. The, I, I also have, uh, to be fair to you, I also have in my notes, worst titles yet. Yeah. I wanted to keep my options open. <laughs> Rem- remember, this part of the franchise is, is like hit after hit compared to what happens afterwards. Right. Um, it's the cheapest, tackiest, kitschiest that this imagery has ever looked. Um, I... I think the, the I don't want to get into this too much because I have a lot to say about it, but the slashes yeah. of the knife, too nightmare for me. Nightmare on Elm Street? I don't like too much nightmare in my Halloween. Mm-hmm. It's not a Reese's situation. <laughs> you gotta, it's like a, you know, it's like fish and banana. You keep those I was going to say, separate. I was going to say pickle and chocolate. <laughs> oh, I'd love a chocolate pickle. But I would maybe that's what this movie is—a chocolate pickle. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't want you know a fish adorned with banana, and uh, that's. But anyway, so th- those those two things, which are very representative of how this movie plays out. But once it's over, I actually think, oh, I quite like the idea behind it—that it's a—that it's just a pumpkin being sliced, and then the carpenter <laughs> theme comes in, and I'm like, okay. That's, you know, it, it's, I, I understand where it's coming from. 
but I didn't necessarily enjoy it at the time. Mm-hmm. Also very scared the amount of writers that are credited yeah. on the movie. <laughs> when you... Yeah. Speaking... So, really, all my feelings about this movie come out in that in that uh, opening sequence. Um, you know, there's some notes of redemption, and I think that's how I'm approaching this movie. There are notes of redemption in it, even though it's uh, in many ways a big misstep. Well, I still contend. I think I used the word before. I think I used I used the word ha- ha- Hallmark movie, but I meant Lifetime because you like the Lifetime movies. This I is, don't get that at all. This you is see, the I think... Lifetime version of but a Halloween Lifetime movie. movies are not experimental. I think. The big, I think the the biggest problem here. I'm talking about out, quality. What, oh, <laughs> <laughs> move on. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm not going to make many defenses. There is no. I'm defense, not going to make. Right? No, I'm not making any defenses about quality, but uh, uh, ambition and experimentation is something that this movie needs to be given credit for, especially coming after Halloween Four whose sole purpose was to play everything straight down the middle, and this movie um, decides to take a different track. And I think it was the right track to take. It probably just wasn't the right people uh, or collection of people to do it. All right. Well, let's get into the actual... Because the actual story... Um... What happens after our pumpkin? Is it uh, is the first thing we see? We so basically we're, end of, we're, we're seeing the, the end bass, right? We're seeing. <laughs> I was going to say the uh, big beginning of this movie is the, the end, end of Halloween of four. Halloween four, as it never happened. Right. I was going to say, like with closer up shots and that kind of shit. Yeah. We we so yeah. There's there's two big embasses here, which for me is the uh, the recapping of um, footage. Well, no, the specifically the the beginning, the next movie with the end of the previous movie, mm-hmm. which is actually by this point bit bit retro. You know, this is more of a seventies, eighties thing. Most sequels have moved beyond this by nineteen eighty nine. <laughs> by the way, because um, uh, yeah, we're nearly we're nearly in the nineties now, and then it's just a bunch of retcons. The biggest one being that. Jamie didn't really kill her mother, oh, so they re-edit. They I re-edit. Mean, okay, well let's uh, let's save that for right now. Yeah. Just, let's let's just talk about Michael in the in the shaft. Because did you know that one of their <laughs> one of the things they were gonna do was kind of Friday the Thirteenth it, and he was gonna just be stuck in that shaft, and then a bolt of lightning was going to reawaken him that's not even the weirdest part of what they didn't do <laughs> because you do you know do you, do you know the production story about how michael was uh resurrected in this movie about how it was supposed to happen i'm not i'm not remembering it offhand okay well I'm, a lot of people listening won't so i'll, I'll go into a little bit of detail about that but i do ori- kind of well go ahead the original conceit was, and you can still see traces of this in the production design of these scenes, that uh, Michael's dead, I say that emphatically, dead body was retrieved by a voodoo priest living somewhere on that river near 
Haddonfield. Um, somewhere between Haddonfield and uh, and Smith and Smith and Grove, South which is where which is where everything in these sequels takes place. Um, it was retrieved by a voodoo priest, and after a year, uh, somehow this body didn't rot. And he re- he um, he resurrects uh, Michael using you know voodoo magic, uh, and then Michael responds in like by uh, taking that life and then taking a life by murdering the voodoo priest. All right. So and at some point, that's at very some present. point, yeah, at some point in this process, the producers, uh, including Mustafa Akkad, got cold feet about. Michael's first kill being for a character who people might see as unsympathetic. There's obviously some implicit racism in there. Wow. Of like, yeah. why is this voodoo Greece unsympathetic? Probably because he's African American. Um, so they wanted they wanted his first kill to be someone that the audience liked, and that's how it got reshot as a kindly old hermit, hermit. takes him in, uh, who has built a look- shack next to the river. Looks after him for a year, while he's apparently unconscious. He must be feeding him too, and uh, then Michael wakes up. Yeah, after my a note year is coma. my note. My note is, who keeps Michael Myers alive for a year, and how? And yeah, exactly the logistics of it as well. Is it just like is he just sliding apple slices through the mask? I do like his. James... Oh, the mask is off. Right? I, I always the, the mask is off. Also, yeah. But I also always did kind of like his James Bond escape through the tunnel as the dynamite comes and the explosion and, you know, yeah. s- sitting in the river. I, I mean, that's I a, always liked all of that. I love the fact that, I mean, because they intercut it with the footage from the last movie. And I love the fact that even after a year, he's emerging from the river as a different man with a different mask. <laughs> Only one year has passed. What well, they're filming this literally months has right. passed since this movie came out, and this it's like you've got <laughs> you've the basis for more consistency than we've ever seen before between and it's, two. And sequels. it doesn't exist. <laughs> and it doesn't exist. Not just that. Let's go to Mask Watch. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do um, an early Mask Watch. This uh, is the worst you... mask, really, for me of all the masks. I hate it even more than four. I have no notes. I realize I have no notes about the mask, so... Wow. Well, for two it... reasons. One, the, the the fraying out of the mask, where it's like <laughs> the corners like look like a bow tie. <laughs> sticking out in front, of his, in front of his jumper. Yeah. And then also I noticed that the eye holes seem to be covered with a black cloth. Hmm. Well, he learned his lesson. After getting poked in the eye by Jamie Lee Curtis with a coat hanger. <laughs> this cloth ought to take care of it. <laughs> done and done. I hate everything about that mask. Except okay. that it at, it at least looks a little... That he takes it off yeah. <laughs> a couple of times. <laughs> well, I, I like that it's not as uh, shapeless and ghost white as the Halloween 4 mask. Yeah, I mean, my feeling is that the the Halloween four mask is more egregious, but there's a better movie around it, so maybe that's why. But I I also there because I, I <laughs> you know you know the Seinfeld of like where somebody looks uh the woman that looks uh 
you know, different in different lights. Yes. <laughs> yes. That yes. mask is like that. That mask looks really good in certain scenes and then mm. truly terrible in other scenes, which is yeah. weird about that mask. It's it's there. Like, I, I have notes on that movie where I'm like, oh, well, the mask looks good here. Maybe I don't remember mm-hmm. this mask being as bad as I thought. Oh, nope. That, now it looks like shit again. Stuff like that. That that's a and you know you don't have to limit that to the mask. That's the entire viewing experience of this movie. Mm-hmm. Especially you know if you if if you've seen one of the most you're coming in from one of the most solid Halloween movies in the series. Yeah, you're sort of like oh what I mean you know it's all the same characters, all the same actors. How cat bad could it? Oh okay, okay. Right. I see what they did. They made it bad, didn't they? Um, and then it goes, and then, you know, you get, you, you get certain set pieces that, that really work in their own right. You, you don't understand why they're in this movie, but you, you, but, and this is where the, like, you know, I think the voodoo priest is a big loss. Cause I think everybody agreed that it would make for a very exciting opening. Um, and you know, not to get too much into behind the scenes anecdotes, but, uh, Dominique Athen and Gerard got this job by walking into Mustafa Akkad's office, taking the script he'd been asked to read of of for Halloween Five and throwing it in the trash can. That's how he got the job, and the fact that so if you give that guy the job, I'd like to know what, what that script was. It was something that it was yeah it was the kind of movie you'd like that was like riffing off Halloween Four and trying to do the same things. All right. Um, and uh, he said, hey, "I lament. You can't, you can't do this. You've got to make it different. You've got to make it more like the original Halloween. We'll talk about that later." Excuse let's me. I'm that. sorry. What? Open tabs. Open. Let's let's open. It's a tab. We'll keep that open. I'm getting <laughs> don't more agree upset with that by the second. What? But he but he said he said you can't you know you can't play it safe you need to do things different and Akkad said okay go off and do what you want oh by the way you can't do that or that or that so come up with in a day a better idea and kindly old hermit is a spe- you know it, it's not an adequate replacement for what we would have got but I guess it's the best of a bad job the only thing I do like about it though is that to me. It's like a sitcom. <laughs> well, no. So uh, specifically about sort of the mythology of Michael Myers and that the fact that he's kind of that he is the boogeyman and can't die. So, yeah, what I do like about it is that no supernatural powers, no earthbound power like lightning doesn't strike him and reanimate him. Nobody does. Well, that's what they were worried about. Nobody that's exactly why they got rid of the voodoo priest reanimates him. What I do like is that, you know, hey, th- all those characters with their shotguns at the end <laughs> of Halloween 4, they took care of some business. Those shotguns put them down for a year. And, and it mm. just took them a year to, like, recoup. <laughs> I can't believe this is the bit of the movie you have the least problems with. It is. <laughs> because <laughs> at this point, like... Halloween to to sort of adopt your persona for for briefly by all means like in this scene in this scene I'd like to see you as a sane person go on <laughs> in a madman's body um 
I, in in this scene, I, I, I realised to myself, so Halloween 4 was so good at solving logistical problems. And I realised in this scene that this movie would refuse to answer such questions. Oh, yeah. And I guess, you know, that's good. It sets your expectations for the rest of the movie. It's a good, you know, it's a good palate cleanser uh, for watching the rest of the movie. Um, certainly prepares you for what you're going to get. But it is, but it, it does sort of... You get that sinking feeling of like, even if the even if the explanation was supernatural, I'd rather we had something that accounted for what was happening because this 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 is like this is a hatchet job of two ideas that they had to put together very quickly, hmm. and one of those probably would work if it was allowed to be what it was. Right. All right. Well, let's leave it there for now and take our first break. And then when we come back, I definitely want to talk about all the retconning. Sound good? Oh, about Jamie? Yeah. God bless Daniel Harris. I know. All right. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. If you're anything like me, you spend the majority of the day wondering whether you want coffee, beer, or wine. Whichever way you fall, Brew Bar has you covered. Located in the heart of 3rd Avenue Village in glorious downtown Chula Vista, California, which is also my neck of the woods, Brew Bar is a coffee shop, bar, and eatery rolled into one delightful package. Tim and Alex run the place, and let me tell you listeners, these guys know their coffee. And after you've been in their company, so will you. They turned me on to pour over, and it's literally all I drink now. If for some crazy reason you don't want to try the best coffee in the world, they've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas, and even coffee cocktails. You heard me. Coffee tails. And we're just getting started. Bottle service on craft beer and wine, alcoholic and caffeinated potions, an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. All served up in an atmosphere hip enough to know you're getting the best quality, but not too hip that you feel the need to drive to 7-Eleven and get a bucket of brown swill. Brew Bar. It's the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee and tea. And if you go, you might even see me. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing Halloween 5, period, no more, but really, colon, The Revenge of Michael Myers, 1989 movie, directed by D.O.G., I'm going to call him. Dog. <laughs> what up, dog? All do right. You know the, uh, work, do you know what the working title for this movie was? Oh, I remember reading it, but I don't remember. A simple yes will suffice. simple yes or no will suffice. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. Think... <laughs> that was a dickish. Things that go bump in the nuts. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to talk about what I think to be one of the biggest sins of this movie. Go on. <laughs> I was going to say, in a list of many, many, many <laughs> sins. But there are the whole retconning of this amazing ending of Halloween 4 mm. is very upsetting to me. To, to the extent of which that, by the way, mom's not dead. <laughs> right. 
So mom's okay, and and she sends and she sends her love. And, yeah, exactly. To J- exactly. <laughs> Jamie in the are, in the clinic, there which she's no in because she tried to kill her. <laughs> to Jamie stabbing her her mother repeatedly with a knife. Her sister they, they to... still loves her unconditionally. Yeah. There is no tension in the relationship. Um, a couple of things about this. Would it, for asking in the form of a question, would it make any difference if you knew that they had, making this movie, they had absolutely no choice but to walk, walk it back? Yeah, it still does. Like they're. I mean, the, there's the still, Mustafa, Mustafa there's Kader, still the producer should be conflict said, within any movie. And, that, and so if you're going to walk it back, th- that conflict is should still be essential to the plot. But of course, they're going to fuck that up because they're going to kill Rachel so soon anyway. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. As much as I love Rachel, I think that works perfectly well for the movie. But... What what I mean is literally Mustafa Akkad and the producers said you cannot have her be the villain of this movie. Michael has to come back and she cannot be evil. What are you going to do? I mean you can fudge it like they do here but you can't really do much better than I'd kill her. Then you don't have Daniel Harris in the movie. Oh, I... I, I... <laughs> you gonna make your movie about the old hermit man? I I agree I mean, completely was... <laughs> that you're right about that, but you're populating your movie with new characters. Mm-hmm. So, what if it's Tina who becomes our central I'm, character? I'm completely I'm completely playing devil's advocate because, well, uh, no, I like I don't. I'm just saying. Might... I don't mind the retcon of she didn't actually kill, you know, she didn't actually kill her mother. And I mean, it's not, I don't know how big a retcon it is because what it, it keeps the idea of a psychic connection between them. It just sort of leans more into the idea that Michael was controlling her from the grave mm-hmm. like a puppet. Right. And I think that's an okay way to go. Yes, the mother dying would be better, but it fucks a whole bunch of other stuff up, so I kind of understand why they didn't. Um, I'm just saying there there were so many interesting choices, and I can't, you know, you're right. I can't I can't bl- blame Dominique or the writers because they had this edict that said don't do any of that. Yes. But so I can lay the I can firmly lay the blame at Mustafa here, Akkad. Ma- here Maverick here Maverick director, here's a bunch of right. fucking edicts for <laughs> yeah, you to exactly. deal with. Mr. Make a loosey goosey challenging experimental movie, but don't do any of these things. Right. That might make it interesting. Yeah. So you know, I I I remember hearing a lot of stories about um directors in a certain time in Hollywood, what they had to learn to do if because they did, you know, if they didn't have final cut or that kind of thing, mm. they would have to learn to shoot and give only the things that they wanted. Right. So that it had to be edited in mm. the way that they wanted it. So mm. I don't know if Mustafa Akkad was on set, but I think it would be pretty funny yeah. 
if if Danielle Harris uh, say they took the tract of making her evil <laughs> and, then, and then only filming that. Oh, no. Too many people breathing down his neck. He'd just be fired. Yeah. Uh, already a bunch of people had walked away from the movie by that point. Um, what offends me more, actually, is making uh, Jamie mute. mute. Yeah. Because that serves no purpose in the plot. Right. As far as I can see. Disturbed in a clinic, yeah. Mute. No, and, and it, it hamstrings... Uh, Daniel Harris's performance not as much as you think it would right because she's, she's great incredible <laughs> but she's even better when you when you realize she's not allowed to speak for three quarters of the movie and she still puts in a um, completely heartfelt performance which you know she does psychosis better than a lot of adults most adults, adults right I mean I'd rather see her her than even like you know I think even Ed Harris fucked that up once or twice. Uh, you know, this is, like, <laughs> this is this is a uh, this is like she does. It, I think it's because she does it so fluidly and effortlessly. Um, in the same way that in in Halloween Four, she kind of she took on the mantle of the final girl without any preconceptions of or second guessing what that should be. She just went with what the script told her to do. Right. And I think this. The, the script is pulling her in all kinds of directions here, but she just does it with a kind of grace and confidence that, again... That like, you don't normally see in yeah, that, that young that an I, actor. I, as an actor in my late 30s, would fucking die for. Right. <laughs> right. Um, well, I- so that's... That's, that's disappointing that they went with... but. I get that. I get the sense very early on that you know everything's gonna be a little more melodramatic and high strung than we're used to, mm-hmm. and making her mute is very much speaks to yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. The way that nurse is kind of throwing herself around the clinic when um, she's trying to calm Jamie down from a nightmare. Yeah, it's like oh, okay, everything's gonna be just that bit extra when it comes to the. Um, when it comes to performance, visual style. Uh, well, let's talk how about visual style the is. too, because this movie. Well, my note is that that the the the, the camera looks like the head of a snake. There's all these sweeping <laughs> camera movements Some... that uh, make me a little bit seasick. My, yeah, my biggest criticism, I think, of the visual style of this movie, and this is on the director and, and the cinematographer, um, they just seem to be throwing in different kinds of shots for no reason. Right. Like, there's a moment in this, you know, in this kind of... Uh, um, in, early on in the movie, the camera just suddenly goes upside down for no reason. <laughs> Right, <laughs> exactly. I mean, they're lit- it's literally like we want to turn this movie on its head, but there's no, like, there's nothing motivating that to happen. It's just it's showing not, it with uh, the camera. It's not Heath Ledger's Joker when he's finally it's, it's... caught and the camera turns around. I think to we put talked him about right this side br- up when he's hanging upside down. Right. I think we talked about this briefly with uh, the second Last Summer movie that I remember seeing shots that were technically 
very strong but had no purpose in the movie like zooming in and out of a um, rear view mirror like seeing everything in a rear view mirror I'm like yeah great what's that got to do with the movie and I feel like there's a hundred of those in here right like what's this got to do with the material and like my I suppose my my like big my overarching feeling is that nationality plays a huge part in this okay well, actually, I guess more continent than the nation because he's a Swiss director, right? I believe Who so. Started in Euro- European cinema. Now, the Taking Shape book sort of speculates that he was trying to make an Italian Giallo film, which I like that theory, and mm. they back it up really nicely. But to me, it, it and I like the fact that you know because he's not Italian, but he has a European sensibility when it comes to directing this movie. I see you know elements of the French New Wave in here. You know, I um, there's some of that Italian Giallo stuff, absolutely. But it's so weird because even though American horror cinema derives from European traditions like German Expressionism, right. and you know even that Giallo influence, which is huge on people like De Palma and Carpenter. Um, this is as close to homegrown American horror cinema as it gets. Like the Halloween brand. Right. It's just something that once you put a European sensibility on it, it just doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Which is so weird. Maybe that's, it it. Comes maybe that's from the a, whole thing. I think that's a huge part yeah. of it. I think it is like... It's like... You know, like theoretically... The idea of doing a European spin on a Halloween movie should work because of the roots of what Carpenter was doing. Mm-hmm. But actually it's, you know, it's like it's like jazz or something. It's a it's a it's an indigenous <laughs> American art form. Right. That the 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 Halloween movies are like, you know, it's like Norman Rock the Norman Rockwell of horror cinema. It's like you can't apply any other it's like everybody that was working on it was trying to do a dizzy gillespie kind of a thing and then felonious monk came in right (laughs) and started started playing the notes that uh, we weren't supposed to hear yeah and if you you know uh and young indiana jones and the mystery of the blues follows that up in some detail there you go some would argue too much detail (laughs) but you get jeffrey wright and harrison ford so Fuck you. Um, <laughs> anyway, so it's a different argument, but I think that's a huge part of it, and I think that's where that's this is an interesting experiment in that that way as well. It's like you have to be weirdly, you have to be, uh, be, and I think it gets worse the more he tries to make it like the original Halloween, which apparently was what he was trying to do. I, I, I and I, that that you see that no evidence me. of that. I definitely, I think this is definitely more of a suspense-driven movie than Halloween Four was. Halloween Four for me is an action movie. This is a suspense movie at times, but in other respects, it couldn't be more different from what. See, Carpenter and I, was doing. I guess, I guess for me is that this movie doesn't have action or horror or suspense. <laughs> like it just, it's devoid of all of that for me. Let's talk about Rachel. Now I agree okay. with I agree with you. I don't give a shit that they kill her early, especially no. since clearly was... there's no conflict within the family, so there's no story reason to keep her around. I guess my problem right. and it's, it's it was his homage to Psycho, which I get. 
Uh. <laughs> what, what, what's wrong with that? All of these movies reference Psycho. And his his idea of what a reference to Psycho was that, you know, you do a Marion Crane, you kill her 20 minutes into the movie. Makes sense. Well, my understanding is that it goes beyond that. Like, one of the reasons they killed Rachel was they wanted to give everybody the sense that nobody's safe. Right. I didn't get That's that from too. that kill. Well, why not? I just think because it's... Because she, she was the most, pretty much the one of the most popular new characters. Yeah. It doesn't... I don't know. There's a disconnect for me. I can't even explain to you why there is. Yeah, it's not very good. It's I just get not that. good. Exactly. <laughs> it's not good. I think it's but, just I because mean, it's... I'm talking about ontologically. Why Why is... like? I guess part of my you... problem is that Rachel in Halloween 4 is so great at flying by the seat of her pants. She's the classic great heroine of yeah. being able to do whatever she has to do to survive. Right. And in this movie, they, the way they try to pay homage to that is so weak where she's uh, just wrapped up in a towel and she, you know, can clearly sense something's not right. And you think she's going to die in that moment. And she doesn't. And she gets outside and there's a, the dog comes back and then she goes back inside two minutes later after the cops have left at, because the cops, the bumbling, our bumbling heroes, uh, yeah. have checked the house and it's all good. That's what I mean. They they matter. They these cops uh, matter. That's true, but but clearly they're they're bumbling because they're not good at their job. Because I mean, he's just in the house. So you think she's going to be safe, and then she goes back inside. But you know that like it's just to me, I. I never have a moment in this movie where I think she's going to stay with us the whole time. I do think she's going to die. Hmm. And I think that's part of my problem. Okay. Yeah, I mean... I I feel like the movie should be better crafted than that. Agreed. Um, I thought it was like a very deliberate attempt to make... The, those scenes that you're talking about are not making the movie more suspenseful than the previous movie had been, but I did. It did kind of suck that they met, that they turned Rachel into like an object, right? In order to do it, like watching her getting undressed and all that sort of stuff, and she was so proactive in the last movie that that's a big fall off. Um, Too big for me, like. Yeah. No. I. Just... I, I, I. Yeah. But. Um, but that you know that only reinforces to me that. Let's get her out. Let's get some new blood. If you can't write her, then let's move on. Yeah, I think I just would have rather have seen her be as great as she was in four, but still get killed. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'd like to have. There, were, I think there. Were it also... just felt disrespectful so this... to the character we know, I guess, and the actor feels well, yeah. the same way. Like. A, 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 lot of, Car- a lot of people like, commented that, yeah. And I think it was, I think it was even because she stood up for herself. I think Michael was supposed to do something like stab her in the eye or stab her in the head or something. She's like, no. She flat out said, mm. no, you're not going to do th-. whatever they wanted to do. She flat yeah. out said, no, we're not going to do that. And so he stabbed her in her like right above her boob while That's wearing her go. towel, <laughs> mm-hmm. which even seems worse, but. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> just, the solution that they come up with to avoid gratuity is always more gratuitous. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's why they're actors, not directors. Yeah. Um, but and and this what, what also what you're saying also that because you know, uh, uh, DOG said <laughs> um, said very clearly. Oh, I wanted to do Psycho. But I think what he doesn't understand, I think what is totally subconscious, I like when he got this job, he watched Halloween, um, Friday the 13th, and Nightmare. And that's it? And Because I have a note here much. that says, I don't think the director has seen any Halloween movies. <laughs> well, he saw, no, he only saw the original one. He's, okay. he's, he's on record saying he didn't see two or two, three or four. Um, and his original pitch to Mustafa Akkad was, um, he says, you can't mix up these movies. Like, you can't, you have to do something that's straight Halloween. You can't be ripping off Nightmare and Friday the 13th. And the script I've got that you gave me is like an amalgam of all those three movies. And what does he do? He goes out and makes a movie <laughs> that is like a little bit Friday the yeah. 13th. A little bit Nightmare on Elm Street. Not much Halloween. Right. It's unbelievable. Like, this guy has no self-knowledge. Even just watching those movies, I think he, it just subconsciously imprinted on his brain so that when he was directing... <laughs> and I think, you know, if you think about the Friday the 13th and night, later Nightmare movies, they make a big deal of starting the next movie with a surviving character and then killing them really early in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, a few of those sequels do that. And... I just like the gradual slaughter is really more of a Friday the Thirteenth nightmare thing than a Halloween thing. Yeah, and even the sort of the way the characters are represented as kooks and the teen characters are all kooks and weirdos that feels way more Friday. Way the 13th Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, absolutely. So he spectacularly failed <laughs> at, <laughs> at his one, at the one at standard he set for himself. <laughs> that he set for himself and that he can you know he convinced Mustafa Akkad to give him the movie to do uh, and that is to me is the uh, probably the biggest like the biggest uh um misfire of the movie is knowing that because I had read that forgot it wrote, watched the movie tons of notes about how you know uh, this is leeching off Friday the 13th right. the nightmare the whole pitchfork stuff the right. slashes the plot structure of a Friday the 13th, the opening sequence. And I was like, okay, so he failed. If that was what he was <laughs> right. trying to do, then then he specifically failed at that. <laughs> well, know, let's maybe let's take another break and then we'll come back. Oh, sorry, throwing a lot at yeah. you here. I mean, I but, we um, still have plenty to talk about. We got a barn scene. We got uh, the laundry shoot. Like we got we have, plenty to cover. Haven't even talked about. Haven't even talked about Loomis yet. I know. And this is a fucking this Halloween is a big movie. movie for, <laughs> this is a big movie for Loomis. <laughs> All right, let's take a break and then we'll come in back. That he's in it a lot. <laughs> right after this. I like to think I know something about beer. 
nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from and if you were confused you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, they'll try new beers, they'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God I need a beer. And we're back ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, a 1989 movie directed by D.O.G. <laughs> directed by a dog. This this movie was actually directed by Max the Doberman. There you go. Who is, who I, you won't be surprised to learn is my favorite character in the movie. <laughs> of course. I mean... Just, just, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna just gonna say this, okay? Apropos of nothing. Go ahead. In the, in the '80s, Dobermans in movies were vicious killers. They were, they were dog henchmen. Right. Okay. For this movie to show out of the gates that a Doberman is an animal of familial love, which owning a dog who is part Doberman, I know firsthand. Right. Is wonderful to see. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful to see. Honestly, Doberman, Dobermans and Rottweilers, they get such a bad rap in movies, especially of this period. And it's entirely the opposite from what they are like, what their personalities are like as dogs. And so when you when All you right. see something that approximates what it's like in reality, I was just all over You're a, it. I loved, that's why I you love this movie. I don't love this movie. It's a bad movie. It's, got a, it's a bad movie with a great dog. Right. I do keep giving you too much, uh, too much credit for how much you like this movie. That's not true. All right. Hey, on 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 the level of dogs, this is my favorite movie of the there franchise. There you go. This this franchise kills a lot of dogs. If that if that dog was in, um, more of the movie, it might be pushing it. <laughs> it might be pushing into Halloween three territory. Because <laughs> Max is a great like, so you can just see like, and it's not about doing tricks and all that flipper nonsense. It's about um, sometimes you know when it's a great dog. Just seeing it on the screen. Anyway, it's, it's well, too- as I think about this movie, and we've got some set pieces that we need to talk about, but. There's something so very strange, and we've been talking around it with this movie, and obviously the next movie is very strange, too. Mm -hmm. And so the only thing I can equate these two movies to is there's, you know, a real Halloween movie standing Mm -hmm. and looking at a mirror, but it's a funhouse mirror. (laughs) 
And these yeah. movies are the funhouse mirror reflection of a Halloween series. Mm. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. I, I really I really like that. I think that's a good thing for people to know going into it. Yeah. You might get elements that you expect, <laughs> but you won't necessarily right. get them the way you expect. Just them. the cops alone. If you're if you're going into right. if you go into uh, this movie expecting to see a regular Halloween movie and then you hear the music and the perform the performances of these two cops, by the way, I adore. Like I Oh good, good. I think they're delicious. I don't, but I like you saying that. Oh, I think they're they're so bad they're good. They're in their own little movie. Exactly. And totally the music only reinforces the rest of that. The movie. It's um, so maybe that was the right musical choice. They were so out of this movie. What I want to know is from another movie. What I want to know is, did Dog play them that music first, or did they have to come up with that music based on their performances? Um, I actually, and this is a bit of a disappointing answer, but which which kind of under underline um, undermines the it's so bad it's good. He wasn't a fan of the performances. It was of of the of the music. Oh wow. He he thought it was stupid. Because because you want to like you want to believe that that's the Europe you know it's like the European and this has been said before part of the European sensibility is you don't really know uh, what comedy is like be like you think is the idea that you think Cirque du Soleil is comedy yeah and you know that's that's a prejudice against European comedy French and German in particular that they don't know what comedy is which is why they like Benny Hill and Jerry Lewis and all right that sort of right stuff. but um. And Mr. Bean, but it's it's. Uh, I think actually he was he felt pretty stabbed in the back by all that. Okay. Um, I think he felt like they were talking down to the idea of them as comic characters, which he was only. I guess if you take that music out, it's it's not subtle, but it's not doesn't hit you over the head with it quite as much. Yeah. Like literally hitting you over the head with a rubber mallet <laughs> is the sound that's being made. Yeah. But but to go back to like the, their their plot function works really well in the movie because they make the characters vulnerable again. Like they set you set up all these these ba- these fortresses around Haddonfield. It's like how is Michael going to break through this wall of cops? Well, if the cops are fucking idiots, yeah. that helps. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it kind of makes it's like the plot function of them makes sense. I don't remember how they're used in. In David Gordon Green's Halloween, I remember them having a conversation about a bomb me sandwich, which doesn't sound like it is relevant to the plot at all. <laughs> that security guard who who like the closet fell on him, and then he found a cat. I don't remember in Halloween two. So I don't Halloween remember two, him right. being a big part of the plot. He seemed like more killing time than anything else. At least these guys, you know, are like screenplay relevant. Gotcha. <laughs> Well, so where do we go from here? I mean, we have some set pieces to talk about, but we could talk about Loomis. We haven't given any play to the fact that there's a man in black cruising this town. <laughs> That's fairly appropriate, given that, that they have no idea what to what do, to with, do with them. Right. So, yeah. And this <laughs> I mean, this is what I mean about like they didn't st- they didn't have the script ready when they started filming. But also they didn't stick to the script that they eventually wrote. And this was a late edition of a, I don't even want to say MacGuffin because MacGuffin is too generous. Right. 
They literally didn't know what this character was or what he represented, either in the story or as a symbol or anything. They knew nothing about him. He was a blank canvas. That's amazing. And so DOG, GOG's response to being given that, you know, turd on a stick. So this was an was edict. This is like Mustafa no. said. Oh, okay. Yeah. This was to this was to create anticipation for the next movie. Wow. And um they wanted something that would be a through line that could come out in the next movie, but they hadn't decided on what that was yet. So he came to the, the character came to DOG with with literally no descriptive detail of who he was, what he meant in the story or anything like that. So he said, "Well, I see him as kind of like a uh, um, you know, like a soul brother of Michael in some respects. So when we put him on screen, that's what we're going to do. He's also played by the same actor who plays Michael, which I guess is a, an allusion wow. to that. All right. Uh, it says, and we'll show him getting off a buzz and kicking a dog. You know, Michael hates dogs, so that's <laughs> so why he kicks the dog. They have that in common. Yeah. Um, and that was it. So he, he, you know, he passed the buck, but the buck that was handed to him was a useless buck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, and. One of the, I mean, it's been said many times that one of the reasons that the next Halloween movie doesn't work is that it's been given a, it's been given a, an unresolved cliffhanger on top of an unresolved cliffhanger. Yeah. So like nothing is done in this movie to resolve the cliffhanger of the last movie, and they've got an entirely new, unresolved right. storyline to resolve. So the burden of the next movie is is uh, doubled by what happens in this movie. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean he's literally literally as meaningless as a character could be in any in any movie. Yeah. And even, you know, MacGuffins, the whole point of MacGuffins is they move the story forward. This holds this, this is like this there's, there's no story here. Mm -hmm. There's no story connected to this character. He doesn't change anything in the movie. Um even the ending of the movie, I guess the ending of the movie is based on, is some is an action of him, but it, it's an unexplained action and we don't know who it is, so it's meaningless. Yeah. And the people, more crucially, it's not like a, it's like a lost situation, isn't it? Where, you know, you, ass you assume that the people who are writing these, you know, a TV show like Lost, know where they're going with the story, and then we find out they didn't. And there's a certain level of portrayal there because you're like, you're like, well, this is exactly the kind of material you produce. Even if you're not telling the audience what this character is, if you know, as the people writing it, directing it, acting it, it shows on screen. Mm -hmm. And if you absolutely don't know anything about that, that shows like too. this and Lost, <laughs> then it definitely comes out on screen. Yeah. All right, well, narratively, I mean, there, there are some set pieces that are really great in this movie. Okay, good. I'm glad you think. In particular, the laundry chute scene. I'm not it's a, good, yes. I'm not a big fan of the fact that the actor, Danielle Harris, uh, was given no consideration for her safety during that yeah. scene. To the point where it like she's yeah. not harnessed. She's literally just pushing herself up in that thing. And they're stabbing a real knife. And I think it actually cut her leg. And that kind of it's shit. Pretty, 
pretty consistent with how she was directed throughout this movie. Like, again, D.O.G. had very little confidence in her as an actor. Like, he, he, he knew, he, because he didn't like Halloween 4... He How would he like know? He's, you said he didn't even see it. Oh no, he had to. You had to watch. Sorry, he had to watch Halloween Four, like as part of his job. Okay, like you and me when you know we have to watch movies. He had to watch that because <laughs> his remit was you got to make a movie that picks this storyline up. So he had to watch that, but he didn't watch two or three. All right, fine. He instead watched Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm yeah, Street right. to his detriment. Um. So this, he wanted to, you know, in the way he directed her, it was all about, like, taking her out of her comfort zone because he thought she looked too comfortable in that. Oh, bullshit. I mean, utter bullshit. And offensive, borderline abusive kind of stuff yeah. of, like, making her, like, do laps around the building when she was, in the scenes where she's running around the town to make it look more realistic that she's out of breath. Yeah. Which, whenever I hear that, I'm like, it's like, so you think you get the best out of your actors if you make them hyperventilate? Right. Like how's that helping anyone? You know? So, he, I, it was like a fundamental disrespect for her, I think, as, from, as, from the start. Yeah. And that's not, you know, it's the, all those kind of, all those bullshit lies about, that's what makes the acting good, is if it's real, it's really happening. Bullshit. She can do nonsense. that without. I'm with you on that. Nonsense. Yeah. Well, we also have yeah. uh, we haven't talked much about Tina, who's sort of our new heroine in this yeah. movie. What do you think of her? We have uh, her boyfriend get murdered, mm -hmm. which I probably even takes place before the laundry shoot, of course. But mm -hmm. uh, and then you see Michael in a non Michael Myers mask. Mm -hmm. I also kind of like that scene. But I mean, that's 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 from the original. Yeah. Right? It doesn't mean it's good. I just say, like, <laughs> if we're trying to latch onto things that are from the original, that's a pretty big one. Yeah, I just, I, I see nothing. This, this, this movie has no relevance to the first movie to me. I, I don't. If he's paying homage to it, or like, in tone, it's nothing like the first movie. No, I mean, this movie has is very inconsistent in tone, yeah. so I don't even know if it has a tone. Right, exactly. Um, what do you think of Tina? I'm interested to know. I liked Tina, and I... I like her a lot. I, I, I liked the character. I liked her as an actor. Yeah. Um Agreed. There's one weird moment where... <laughs> I know exactly what you're going to say. Carry on. <laughs> so I think it's when... I think it's when Jamie believes she sees Michael Myers at the hospital. Oh. And she runs down... Okay. And then it turns out it's just a janitor, and they bring her back up, and Tina's there. Hmm. And they might not even know. Do they know if Rachel's dead? At, the, at, at any point, she just seems hell-bent on going to the barn for a party and leaving the child there. That's what I thought you were going to say. That, um, And that's... That's the that's the kind of uh, the stick that's always used to beat that character is, especially as kind of Rachel had to die in order for this character to, to come like, to the forefront takes some to the forefront yeah but um i feel like like yeah that that's it, it feels like an oversight in terms of the screenplay yeah and but i think wendy foxworth acts it in a way she that, does it the best that it pop probably yeah. could be but done she, 
but she lets me know in her acting she basically acts her way out of this this writing corner yeah for me. right because she lets it be known, not necessarily at the time, but in later scenes, that she's the kind of person who's trying to avoid darkness. Right. Like, in her life, like, basically her life is pretty shitty. Yeah. She doesn't want to have to face up, she'd rather believe that Jamie is safe and that everything's fine. And the one thing I do like... That might, then the serial killer's going to come back and kill her. And 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 the one thing I do like is that that makes her sacrifice all the better. Yeah, I agree. So that I really like. Yeah. Although I'm not sure um, I re- what do you think of that the car chase? Which we, um, where Michael's oh, trying to run down Danielle and then at the same time trying to run down Tina and Tina saves her and all of that a shit. A lot of people a lot of people like that. I didn't I don't I didn't, like it. <laughs> no. A lot of a lot I just of, don't think it's shot really well. I, I, it's not yeah. like it bothers me yeah, that Michael's in a car, but it just doesn't look good. It's shot poorly. It's like to a me. scene from the Blues Brothers. Yeah, or exactly. In the yeah, I, Again, it comes across like, looking more comic than Halloween. anything else. Agreed. And yeah. also, and also, Cups. and I believe I'm right on this. It also, I, I've heard Danielle Harris refer to, oh yeah, it was just a car going after us. Like, like I, it, it was another moment of. A really lack of me. professionalism and safety for the she's actors on set. She's a child. She's she's a child. She was ten or eleven when this was being filmed. I mean, I mean, you know, sucks for the adults too. Right. But at least they, you know, they get they have some choice here. You know, it's like they can they they have some they can consent. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. And there's a lot of <laughs> well, my big note is again unexpectedly is that there's a lot of slow motion. Uh, I like the way the slow motion works in the last movie better than this movie. They tried to do something expressionistic with it, and it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. In the last movie, it's just full on, you know, releasing the shells of shotguns. This is what we do in movies in the eighties. We shoot people repeatedly in slow <laughs> right. motion. So, yeah. Um, another character I wanted to ta- see if you liked as much as I did, Billy. The her little friend at the clinic. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was great. I do. I do too. And he was like, you know, and he was. And you have a real like it. sort of Nancy Drew Hardy boy running around the town yeah. looking for the farmhouse moments, avoiding cops and. <laughs> yeah, and they put him through the ringer as well. They wanted him to be a a BMX biker. Like a BMX bike expert. Hmm. So this poor kid had to deal with convincingly doing a stutter, which he does really well. Playing all the notes of the character, like a disturbed child. Yeah. And they also wanted him to like arrive in every scene with a with like a cool, difficult move on a BMX bike. Oh, wow. Okay. And one of, one of the things that really made me hate DOG in the interview I read with him is he was kind of putting that on the kid who played Billy. He was like, yeah, but he wa- he wasn't a very talented biker, so we had to cut that element out of the movie. I'm like, first now, of all, that's you cut your that fault. Element out you the- hire somebody yeah. who knows how to fucking ride a bike. <laughs> and al- also, clearly, they realized it was stupid. Yeah, right. It looks stupid. It would have been stupid if every time he appears, he does like a wheelie. Um, so, <laughs> but I think I think he's great. It would have matched I just, the tone I'm- of this movie. I'll tell you that much. 
I can't believe, you know, after Halloween 4, we've added another great child actor to the roster. Yeah, right. And I like the fact that, you know, Tina is a really good surrogate for Rachel. Like, I feel like the the hand... It's nice to see all the same characters back again anyway, doing something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Like dying. (laughs) <laughs> like suddenly Sheriff Mika has a problem with Loomis after having zero problems right, with him yeah, the yeah, entire yeah, movie. Yeah. Also Loomis is, so... Loomis is fucking all over the place. This guy is out of He's control. He's so crazy. He's so I don't insane. know what's going on with this guy. <laughs> I know Donald Donald Pleasance uh didn't know what he was supposed to be doing and was confused. He was about the character was so crazy that at the end of this movie he has like a heart attack or a stroke or just lays on top of Michael. Yeah. That's <laughs> But there's also there's like talking about character contradictions. There's moments when he's like screaming at the top of yeah. his voice and browbeating small children. Yes. Before, before, like, actively putting them in harm's way. I have a note I mean, here that says, do they allow psychiatrists into an ER? <laughs> but also, you, but then there'll just be moments where he's just, like, chuckling to himself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, which way do you want to go? Do you want to tone down his character? Or do you want to... Because at or, one point... Or like, is he unhinged? Is he unhinged? And then there's, like, I think, like, a moment I really like, even though... You know, it's so, it's so scattershot the way that his character develops over this movie. I don't really understand it. We've already seen him turn a gun on a child, so I guess there's no going back. Well, it feels like that's. It feels like he's going for that. That like, there's there's a bit of him that just doesn't trust Jamie, (laughs) so he's always shaking her and shit. And I, I thought he'd gone full rogue before, but it turns out, according to this movie, he's only ever gone semi rogue. Yeah, he was he was scratching the surface of rogueness. He throws away the walkie-talkie. He's saying, yes. "I am not gonna. Even if the police tell me not to do this, I am not going to do it." Well, uh, so can we talk about that too? So the ending set piece of this, first of all, cops, you're so dumb. By design. By design. <laughs> But also, some this somehow involved a. He is a PP and J pun me. This this somehow involved a fake psychic connection between Michael and Jamie. Like he faked her out to make her think he was attacking people at the kids' hospital. It's as good an interpretation as I've heard. Crafty of what happened. Back to crafty Michael Myers. <laughs> That's the craftiest he's ever been. He f- My question is why is he never why why does he only have this connection with with uh Jamie who is his niece, right? Correct. And not with either of his si- I mean we we know specifically he didn't have it with Laurie, otherwise Laurie would have known she was his sister. And he didn't Well, cuz he she touched him. That's it. I think I think that's it. Is that how the is that how the psychic connection works? Yeah. Another 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 point another point against this movie is introducing the cult of thorn tattoo, while once again not having any <laughs> idea right. about what it would mean. Yeah. Jay was just as a mean to visu- means to visually link, um, Michael and the man in black. And the man, right. That was there was no was no none of the I mean. You know, next movie's gonna go, gonna chow down on it's that. It's gonna go fucking but, ape shit on that. <laughs> but, but right, <laughs> but right now, 
That was literally like, oh, look at the little. The, it almost looks like a four. Oh, good. Now we know that this, they're they're linked somehow. Right. <laughs> um, so I don't understand why he has this connection only with her. And I guess you you you've just answered it. He touched her. I think that's it. And then there's some real uh, there's some really weird. I mean, <laughs> we've already described a lot of really weird stuff, but a lot of that weird stuff is kind of explainable by the way in this film was made. Who the fuck is that old lady in the wheelchair at the party? <laughs> and why is she at the party? Yeah, why? How did she get it's an like, invite? It's also to like, all it, these it teenagers romp. It becomes a Fellini film for like 10 seconds. Right. Like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, It's just, it's just crazy. It, it's a, it's a crazy movie, but, Going back to Loomis, I mean, uh, this is 1989 is licensed to kill in the Bond yeah. canon, and I, you know, you've got some par- parity there of like the first time that that James Bond goes full rogue, and here's Loomis, Loomis doing the same goal. full rogue. <laughs> and also, also, there's an I think there's a little bit of an attempt here. But I also then, wondered, it... like, did did you do you like me wonder if. Loomis ever let a cop know about his chain trap? Or did he just keep that for himself? I I don't know. There's nothing in the movie to say he didn't. (laughs) But this is something I focused on this time, trying to think about, you know, because Halloween 2 basically posits that Michael's motivation is he goes after his family. That he's trying to kill his family. That's his motivation. Here, there's some. They keep saying things like stop. He want needs to stop the rage. So he's killing as a way of yeah. Killing as a way of not being a killer. It's the. It's like that's his motivation, right? He's yeah, got to kill well, after the Jamie car chase. So Loomis that... has the thing where he's trying. Like the by the way, like Michael Myers, we know is crafty. So it's the most obvious trap to Michael Myers, I assume, or. Loomis is just like, go home, Michael. Yeah. Where it all started. So I felt like that was an attempt to move away from the sister motivation. Yeah, which, maybe. Again, is a nice idea, but you got to replace it with something other than stop the rage, which sounds like a, <laughs> you know, like a protest movement from the 80s. Stop <laughs> the rage. Stop, stop the rage. Um, Sounds like a Soundgarden album. <laughs> <laughs> I like one of the things I did like. I like the decision to offset the discovery of all the accumulated bodies, mm-hmm. so that the house had like a haunted house, haunted mansion feel. Okay, which I think was a deliberate um, ploy that worked because you kind of forgotten. They do the same in the next movie, actually. Um, you kind of forgotten that all these people have been killed, yeah. and you go around the house and you rediscover them. You know, like a like the haunt, like a like a ghost train or something. And I, I like that um, that screenplay decision. If indeed it was a, dis- <laughs> it was a decision, it's hard to tell um, in this movie. But I I got really speaking of like not feeling uncomfortable about the way Daniel Harris has been treated. By the way. I think adult Daniel Harris is treated much worse by by Rob Zombie, but it's all a matter of perspective. Right. Um, just there's something about 
the way that Donald Pleasance was throwing her around that just felt yeah. too real. Yeah. It just yeah. felt it felt like Donald should have held back a little bit because it was a kid. I don't know. And I know they got on really well and they ran lines together and yeah. he, she has fond she memories of him, so I'm not plenty of fond memories. It feels like in the context of this movie where the director's constantly trying you know, is doing borderline abusive things to you that someone should have sort of just held back on that. You don't need it, especially in a loony movie like this. You don't need that kind of raw, uh, like, snuff movie feel to it. You know? Yeah. That kind of cannibal holocaust almost. Right, right. Like, what, what am I watching? Is this really happening? What did you... Um, what do you make of Michael Myers' uh, ennui? Of his... Of the Michael Myers' tear? Right. So... <laughs> I, you you remember when we we talked to, in Halloween that there's like a moment like towards the end of Halloween two yeah we're always talking about Halloween I'm talking about Halloween two Michael where she it, just says the it's name like a, it's a, it's like a, a yeah exactly it's like a turning point of is he gonna fold or is he gonna continue to be a killer and they give you the briefest moment possible to suggest that he's thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But he decided to continue to be a killer. And here, I think, you know, consistent with this melodramatic movie, it's the same. They're pulling right, the same trick, right. but they're doing it in a more obvious, overly sentimental, you know, decidedly Dripping European with goo way. Yeah. Um, and it, it doesn't it doesn't uh, it doesn't land as well. It falls kind of flat. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I don't. I feel like there's a lot of things in this movie that people take aim at because, again, it's like, that's not my Halloween. And I feel right. like I'm fine with him taking his mask off. It's like, it's not just this movie where they're inconsistent about his wounds. He's he's dead. Yeah, exactly right. He's been dead twice. It's like, I, d- I don't care about those things. Yeah, I just I don't care either. about good or bad storytelling. And uh, this movie has elements of both, but overall it's more bad storytelling than good. Yeah. Um. But uh, again, also wondering why they think a tranquilizer is going to work after fire and a hail of I know, right? shotguns will does nothing. <laughs> you know, but he does. Why is the tranquilizer he does, he does the golden get arrested. bullet? He, go, he does go into jail, and of course, the man in black breaks him out. And then the the funniest thing to me, like, because it, it feels very Terminator, by the way, that whole scene. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's interesting. But just the yeah. idea of Jamie going into the jail, I'm like, man, she's got some stones on her, that girl. Because I'm not sure what police protocol is with inmates, but having a nine-year-old in the cell with a serial killer, can't imagine it's routine. Right, exactly. And yeah, again, it's no wonder that the next movie's so insane, because this movie ends this with This movie unexplained... forced it to be insane. An unexplained action from an unidentified person. Right. All right. Um, I mean, I don't know. Anything left for you? No, I think... Uh, I did have one credit check. I like that there was a character ooh. called Fat Sniper. Oh, I like that. <laughs> That's pretty funny. My only, cre- my only credit check is uh, two of the drivers have the same name. That's great. Fred Siegel. So, Fred Stiegel. Sorry, not Siegel. Uh, that would be ridiculous. Um, so either they're father and son, or it's a supernatural omen. Yeah. Um, but that's. Uh, 
I think I think yeah, that's it. I think we've accurately represented the uh, the strangeness of this movie. Yeah, and some of it, you know, and and highlighted some areas that you that that uh, you can certainly defend. I've been obviously giving this movie a lot of shit, but like we both stated at the beginning, I could sit down and watch it right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's you know. What carried me through, I think, this viewing was really the act, the, the quality of the acting. Yeah. Like, there's not, like, even as you said, like, I don't think that even the comedy cops are not that bad. They're good at what they're doing. <laughs> they're good at they're what just they're doing. Misplaced. Uh, and everyone is kind of nailing, like, on screen is kind of nailing what they're doing. What they're being asked to do is so ludicrous. There's no, there's no sense in which they could be successful. Right holistically but yeah like and and in certain times they're transcending what they've got and i think tina does that particularly really well and daniel harris obviously as always all right well ladies and gentlemen if you have a different thought about halloween 5 the revenge of michael myers you let us know we want to know where this movie lays with uh with within your your understanding of the Halloween series. So find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us a an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, I am Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. We'll be back next time for Halloween, not six, The Curse of Michael Myers. Say goodbye, Tom. What am I doing? I hate cats. <laughs> Perfect. Until next time. <laughs>